Father, use us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you guys say hi to somebody next to you and then have a seat. Morning to stand up. If you are a, a father here, please stand. Uh, if you guys are around them, go ahead and just lay hands uh, on that dad. And Lord Jesus, we pray and ask, Father, you would anoint these men, fill them with your power, your love, guard their marriages, their children. I pray you'd give them vision without boundaries. Lord, that they would represent you to a lost world. That you would be their everything, Father. You would fulfill their needs, their purpose. We thank you for them. I pray for more fathers, Lord, to lead your church. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. I do have a topical study uh, today, being that it is Father's Day, that I would love to share with you guys. And it's a study my dad actually just gave this past uh, Friday. It's a, it's a, he gave a, a devotion, which he gave us uh, a 10-point devotion, which I was actually quite blessed by it and I asked him if I could steal his notes but I, I, I did want to take it from the devotion to give you guys a whole study a little more in depth and I, and I, I kind of tweaked it a little bit my study today is called fathers must teach and these are 10 lessons that a, a father should teach a son I do have uh, verses that are going to be displayed today on, on the screen being that it's not an expository study today where we're not going verse by verse but we're going to be covering quite a few verses on lessons that a father must teach his children fathers must teach you see uh, a little introduction our fathers are our first teachers our mothers are our first teachers as well but our fathers are our first example of what god is Many times in broken homes, it's sad to say that you'll see that when a, a person has a broken relationship with their father, they have a broken relationship with the Lord. They ha have a, a skewed view on who God is. So whether our, our, our father was a good father here on earth, our dad was a good father on earth or not, we see it impacts our society today. Before the Industrial Revolution, families were raised on farms. And the sons, they, they followed in their father's footsteps in their work. And the fathers were intimately close with, with their children. And they spent a lot of time with them. 
But when the Industrial Revolution came, I'm not saying that technology is bad, the fathers and the children began to separate more. And it introduced now a, a division in the family. And that's not something now that you need to go home and start a farm. But it's something now to realize how much more effort that needs to be put into our children's lives. Now, I stand before you guys today as the only, maybe one of the only guys in here who's not a father. But these are lessons that my dad taught me. And I want to share them with you. Not only that, these are lessons that the Bible teaches, that the Lord, our Heavenly Father, teaches us. And for me, as I'm diving into this this morning, I want to take this and apply it to one day when I become a father. <clears throat> in it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So my first point today is number one. Fathers must teach, number one, the fear of the Lord. Fathers must teach the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see that word there in that Proverbs, it, that word for fear. It's a moral reverence and also dread. Now, for the unbeliever, the fear of God is that fear of judgment. And eternal death, which is separation from God. But for the believer, we're not afraid and scared of God. It's something much different. The believer's fear is a reverence of God. You see, believers, we're, we don't need to be scared of God because nothing can separate us from his love. So when we are instructed to fear the Lord, it's, it's that worship of the Lord, that reverence, the respect. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what is knowledge? What is that, that Hebrew word for it? it? It means skills, discernment, understanding of this life. You see, the Bible is our instruction for those things, for this world. You've heard that acronym before, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. This is what the word of God is. Again, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if knowledge, what I just talked about, the skills, the discernment, that's, if that's knowledge, then wisdom is how to apply those things in our day-to-day -day life. See, it's one thing to have all the academia in our mind, but to know how to apply it in a holy way, that's a wisdom. And when you fear the Lord, this is what starts the wisdom rolling in your life. Again, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. I love this verse when I found it because I, I noticed right away that the basis in this example for church growth, 
It was simply that the church was walking in the fear of the Lord. It wasn't programs and, and learning a, a, about all the dynamics of the culture of, of a town that they would go into. It was, no, the believers in that church knew the fear of the Lord and they would walk in it. And the sheep beget the sheep. See, healthy sheep, you guys are going to go minister to other people to help them become healthy sheep. I got to have a a conversation with this believer who owns a a travel agency that actually uh, my wife and I were supposed to be going to Israel this year. Um, The door might still be open for that, but I, I got to speak with the guy who owned this travel agency He's uh, Pastor Don McClure's son. And we started talking about COVID and about what was going on with his, uh, his brother's church up north. They were getting sued for having their doors open during COVID. And they didn't close their doors. For a, a short period of time, I think everyone closed their doors. There was that season when everyone had to close their doors. But then as soon as the ability came that we can open doors and kind of have social distancing within church. Some churches didn't meet back up. And the churches that did meet back up, because he's a, he knows all these pastors as this travel agency, this Christian travel agency, he talks with them. He found that all the, the pastors that opened up as soon as they could, their churches began to multiply abundantly. And the ones that, that didn't, many of them didn't survive. Many of them are, are still close to this day. But you see, they were walking in the fear of the Lord, those pastors, to make sure that they honored the word when it says not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. And this is something that's important to us. Now, I'm I'm not saying I know every heart of a pastor who closes church. I just want to keep that, that real. Sometimes the Lord leads us. When a work is done, it's complete, it's finished. My second point on fathers must teach is guarding one's mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, Paul was writing to the Romans because he knew the culture that they were in was so dived into immorality that they needed to have their mind transformed. He said, don't conform, don't align yourself with the way that the world thinks because the way that the world thinks today is completely opposed to the message of the Bible. Today, if you want to identify as a dog or a cat, it is more received than if you want to identify as a Christian. People say, this is, I was born this way. The Bible teaches you must be reborn. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, we are to be soberly minded. You know, that, that drink that you have that gets you that, that buzz, as soon as you get that buzz, 
that part of your mind is not governed by the Holy Spirit. And we are to be governed by the Holy Spirit. Paul said to be constantly in prayer. Pray without ceasing, he said. A good brother of mine actually once told me this account that he was invited by a friend just to come over, just to hang out, have some beers. And he, w- he was a new believer, the guy, uh, my, my friend. And he got this invite. And as he was reading in the moment his word, this verse came up, be sober, be vigilant. The devil being a roaring lion. And he sent it right back to his friend. Hey man, like I, I was really about to go, but I just read this verse. And his friend read the, the text message and was like, whoa, bro, okay, maybe we shouldn't drink right now. And that's, that's wisdom right there. See, Satan, he does not want the Holy Spirit to have control of your mind. And every time you even lose partial control of your mind, you open it up to the possibility to be influenced by your flesh, which has its origin in Satan, or even to the control of the enemy. So we need to guard our mind. And how do we do that? The word. The word is truth. My third point. Fathers must teach. That's obedience. Fathers must teach obedience. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You see, we don't have to teach our children how to disobey. When you teach a child obedience, you teach them the wisdom of respect, of authority, of leadership, long-suffering, endurance, even in hard situations. Now, I don't find in the Bible also the teaching that children should obey their parents when they're telling them to sin. See, there's a hierarchy of authority. We must obey God over man. But also uh, what I see in the Bible is that we're not supposed to provoke our children to wrath, to, to tease them to the point where they're frustrated and angry no, but we must teach them obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Do you guys remember the background of that verse? Saul was out there fighting a war with the Philistines. Saul, king of Israel. And they were waiting for the prophet to come. But the prophet wasn't showing up. So he said, he took it upon himself to take the place of a priest, which he wasn't. And he said, all right, bring, you know what? I'm going to make the sacrifice and the Lord's going to bless this war campaign that we're on. And he begins to, instead of wiping out this wicked nation that the Lord commanded him to do so, 
He saves the best things of that nation, the, the, the fat calves and the king even of that wicked nation that the Lord told him to kill. And he begins to then sacrifice to the Lord and then suddenly the prophet, he comes to him. Samuel comes to him. And Samuel's like, what are you doing? Why is the king still alive? And he's like, oh, it's all good, brother. You see, we, we wanted a sacrifice to the Lord God. And he, didn't, he disobeyed the Lord. And he said, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? And why have you spared King Agag? And he's like, well, the, the people, they, they wanted the, the best of this. And he's like, no, for what you've done, the kingdom is going to be ripped out of your hand now. And then Samuel actually ended up killing the king, King Agag. You see, the right thing done the wrong way is the wrong thing. And delayed obedience is disobedience. There's so many things in our life that I'm sure that you feel that you're, you know, you're like, all right, I'm doing things, what you're supposed to be doing, but your heart is far from what you're supposed to be doing. Perhaps you've heard of, of the illustration of that child who's standing up in class when he's not supposed to be. And the teacher says, sit down. So he sits down and he, and he tells the teacher, I'm sitting, but in my mind I'm still standing. It's that disobedience, that, that wicked heart that's in kids. I'm sure there's, your kids are angels. <laughs> Howard says no. My fourth point, fathers must teach wisdom and companionship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You see, it's easier if you're on a ledge to pull someone down from that ledge than it is to pull them up to where you're at. And that's an illustration of our walk with the Lord. You see, we're on the rock and sometimes we like to hang out with the moral company and it's so much easier for them to pull us down than it is for us to pick them up. You see, your friends who are lost, they, they do need you in your life. We don't need to become monks and live in the mountains and stay away from the world. No, we're called to the world. But with our friends who are lost, they need to know that we're Christians who follow the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness. You see, a, a recipe for a divorce that we've seen is when a believer marries a non-believer. Because you guys don't have that foundation in Christ. And in that same way, we need to be wise and discerning of our, our business and when we go to our secular places of work. You see, I, I work a secular job. As a technician, I, I, sometimes I work many times alongside construction workers and, and men of the world. 
and they bring you the the worst and most perverse things and in that moment maybe i look kind of young and immature or, or or like a fool when i say you know what i don't need to see that bro but that's what the lord calls us to is to look weird you know as a believer if we're constantly just click so well with everyone we meet we need to be discerning on if we're not really shedding the light and the truth of Christ because Christ is an offense at times to the non-believer. And for your children, train them that they have to marry a believer. My mother always told me, love someone who loves God more than you. And I always thought she meant that the person loved Jesus more than I love Jesus. But what she really meant was that that person loves Jesus more than me. And it's true. In our marriages, we need to have God first. God is the glue in our marriage. My fifth point. Fathers must teach sexual purity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. See, these bodies, they're the Lord's temple. They're made for the Lord. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And in the book of Revelation, it says that we are made for the Lord's good pleasure. See, the marriages of the Christian church today are being attacked. And if Satan could get a husband and a wife to become set apart from each other, it's much easier for him to pull away the children. That's why I pray for marriages a lot. See, the marriages are the first defense. We're the offense when you guys are married. You guys are the offense to the enemy. And when you have children, you send them out like arrows also against the enemy. And, and, and Satan hates that. When you became a Christian, you signed up for spiritual warfare. That's the reality. So Satan will use whatever he can to get a hold of, of your eyes, your mind, your heart. I remember uh, Pastor Dale over at Calvary Chapel used to tell us, oh, you think uh, that girl who, who gave you a, that sweet eye the other day, you think she was checking you out? No, that, that was the devil, bro. And he would often would say, he's like, because there's no way a girl would be checking you out at the end of it. In First Timothy Chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. So we should be wearing clothes that are modest. That wouldn't cause another to stumble. And we need to teach this to our children. My sixth point, 
Fathers must teach to enjoy, for their children to enjoy their wife or their husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, this is a hard thing for a husband to do is to die to himself. As men, we were the leaders and we, we want to lead and we want respect. Respect. But then it's hard for us to die to ourselves. And we're called to be the first one to, to submit to the Lord. Love, it requires action. See, we don't just love with our heart and just with emotional care. It's one thing to say, I love you. But it's another thing to act in love. And oftentimes, I believe women need both. They'll say, do you love me? And they say, do you love me again? And you should say, yes, I love you. It doesn't matter how many times, if they ask you ten times in one morning to say it. It requires action of us on our part. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. You see, intimacy is good, and there is freedom with it in its right place. So you don't put the fire out of the fireplace. You don't put the soil that's in your garden onto your mom's carpet. And sex belongs between a husband and a wife in the marriage bed. How many pastors have fallen? And it's sad when, when that happens. Some of them major role models in the, in the Christian world. And after they die, you find out, man, this guy had a, a whole other life that nobody knew about. You see, because they weren't doing that first relationship with the Lord right. Because that's where it starts. Get your, ha- your heart and your eyes off the Lord. And you begin to seek pleasure and desire elsewhere. And to other things. And Satan is so subtle. See, Satan many times isn't going to just come to a man and just right away to just throw some crazy woman at him and expect that they're going to have an affair. No, what Satan likes to do is just say, oh, like, hey, I noticed there's the same person there every time I come by this spot. And just slowly, hey, why don't you, you're supposed to be a Christian. Show show her the love of the Lord. And then, hey, she likes when I talk because I talk about spiritual things. And you see the, the cycle. You guys know where I'm going with this, where it leads. You know, just to be real honest, as graphic as it gets all the way to, to that unholy bed, there's a physical interaction that is now you are separating what man and wife, what God has put together. Now, this is just a warning for us. 
But what it would lead to, first of all, your relationship with the Lord being destroyed. And God can do redemption. He can redeem. So if you failed, know that the Lord, he loves you. And that he desires for that full intimate relationship. And I've seen God do work and miracles in marriages. I've seen God with marriages that were, the the wife was off living with, with some other man. And this guy was a pastor for 13 years backslid from the Lord and then his wife went and left him and was living with some other man and when he came back to the Lord he was just praying Lord uh, do, what do I do is it time for me to give up on on this woman on my wife she's living with some other man now and he felt the Lord telling him no it's not time and just when he was again feeling like it's time for himself to give up on his wife a brother in the church told him hey hey, I, I think the Lord wants you to know that it's not time to give up. And then his wife came back to him and said, I don't even want to be here, but the Lord has told me I have to be here. A miracle in their life. And that's a real account of a, of a pastor I know. So God does do miracles. And now they lead hundreds, if not thousands of people in the Lord today. You see, that intimacy, it's good, and keep it good. My seventh point, fathers must teach, is honesty. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, we know the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Many, one of the lessons I, I learned growing up was, many times we lie because it makes us feel better about whatever it is that we're doing because we don't want to experience that little inconvenience or, or, or suffering and it takes for someone to know the truth about us. But that's why I, the Bible teaches that we must die to ourselves and be honest. You know, once when I, I was uh, new to the AC trade, I was working on some big commercial air conditioning units, me and this other coworker of mine. And we made a huge mistake of putting the wrong type of refrigerant into a, an AC unit, an air conditioning unit. And the customer happened to see the type of refrigerant or the jugs of, of refrigerant that we had outside of the unit. He didn't think too much of it, but then later on when the unit started having problems, he asked, started to begin to ask questions about what was done on the job and there was a moment that I could have gotten away with uh, my mistake where I, I could have covered it and made it so that nobody found out about it and uh, my supervisor began to ask me questions and I remember the Lord just putting this intense conviction in my heart like this was a test he wanted my supervisor wanted to know exactly what happened and I hated to do it, but I told him the truth, and I told him, you know what? I, I put the wrong refrigerant in. And he was super gracious, and actually he had somebody else go swap it out real quick. Um, but the crazy thing was 
that not even a, a few days later, uh, he brought me into his office and said, hey, what, what's going on? I want to know what's going on in your life because uh, you've been kind of a little different lately. And I, I explained to him, actually, I was in, at the time, uh, I was deciding whether I was going to leave that job that I was working at to go work at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs full time. And he was like, wow, okay. And he, he said, you know what? Um, whatever you decide, I, I got your back. And then he kind of gave me like, hey, like, you know what? I, if you ever, you know, need a place to work, you have a place here. And I left and I left on good terms. And I didn't know that after a year and a half working at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs that the Lord would say, hey, I want you to go start a new work. And in order to do that, you need to go back to the AC trade. So because I saw the Lord was giving me that major conviction of being honest with my supervisor, when I could have gotten away with it, and I, I was so, so embarrassed, I was humbled. But because I, the Lord told me to be honest, I saw the Lord help me to prosper, or that my supervisor was like, no, I want you to come back to work for me. And I, saw, I got the same job back. You see, honesty it's integrity. It's that thing that nobody sees when no one's looking. We have an integrity crisis on our hands in the church and in the world. And the crazy thing is that with phones and social media now, everything's a little more open. But what about what God thinks about you? What about what the angels and demons know about you? And the third book of John, chapter 1, verse 4, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see, this is a pleasure that a pastor and spiritual leaders and spiritual fathers have. It's to see their children walking in truth. When I hear about a husband and wife getting together and, and reading the Bible at night, them sharing this with me. I have so much joy in my heart to see that, that they're following in the fear and the wisdom of the Lord. And as I see you guys sharing with me your, your accounts, your, your testimonies, and as you're walking in truth, the, the truth of the gospel, that is one of my greatest joys. My eighth point, fathers must teach good, hard work. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You see, when we go to our, our homes and when we're getting groceries, when we're cleaning the dishes, when we're taking out the trash. We're supposed to do it as unto the Lord. We get so excited sometimes about doing ministry and you see a, a work of the Spirit happen and, and, the, and the Lord moves and you see people respond and you're like, man, that was awesome and you're so happy and joyful about it. But then when you do something that's just as important, like ministering to your husband and wife, but maybe 
the outcome isn't as crazy an experience. We don't have that same joy. But you see, the Lord wants us to be joyful and being obedient to him rather than on the outcome of our obedience. A lesson I had to learn myself is to be joyful in being obedient to what God has called me to, despite the outcome. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. I see, and as he's writing this to the church in Thessalonica, he wanted to remind them not to be lazy, that as believers, they weren't to bank on on, on someone else always taking care of them. There wasn't going to be this social utopia in the Christian church, at least amongst his leaders. Now there is a place that Paul talks about helping those in need. But it's not that type of work where you allow for someone to be lazy. Especially when they have the ability not to be that way. My ninth point. Fathers must teach financial stewardship. From Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 and 10. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. See, this is the one thing that the Lord asks us to test him in. We're not supposed to test the Lord in anything except this one verse right here is what we test the Lord in. And that's that when we don't give to God, that he would not give us something back so much so that we wouldn't be even able to receive it. And you see, it's not always going to be money. It's not always going to be monetary gain. But I personally have seen in my life when the Lord has put it in my heart to, to give, the Lord blesses abundantly. And we know it's more blessed to, re, to give than to receive. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, that's that one topic, honestly, that I, I don't like teaching is on tithing. <laughs> but it's something that the Bible commands me to teach. And I, I do see that there can be that temptation for, for many of of holding on to that that piece of paper. I I wonder if sometimes we struggle financially because we're not giving off the top to the Lord. Giving to the Lord as a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, the Bible teaches. 
I remember one thing my dad taught me as a, as a little kid going to Sunday school. He would give me a little bit of money and they would have offering in, in the Sunday school class. And they would go around and my dad would say, here, I want you to give this to the offering when it comes around in the little class. And I would. And it was, he was putting that in me to make sure that I, I give. I give back to the Lord. My 10th point and final point for my study on the fathers must teach. Fathers must teach, love thy neighbor. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, when the lawyer asks Jesus, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So then that same lawyer would go to ask, oh, I've, I've kept all of these from, from my youth. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus would tell a parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys have heard this parable before. The parable of the Good Samaritan, there's a man who is walking on the road. And he, he's not Jewish. He's, uh, or I'm sorry, he's Jewish. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. They had a, a racial hate towards one another, a prejudice towards one another, the Samaritans and the Jews. And as this Jew is walking along the road, suddenly a, a band of robbers and thieves, they come and they beat this man up. They beat him so bad that he, he's wounded and he's naked and they take all of his belongings and they flee. And suddenly... Other Jews began to walk by this man three times, a priest, a Pharisee. And as they would walk along and they would see their brethren, their brother laying on the floor, bloodied and beaten, they would just be like, oh man, I'm not going to touch that guy. And they would walk the other way. Until finally a Samaritan comes walking by. And he sees this man, a human being, and he has compassion on him. So he picks up this, this Jew and he takes him to an inn and he pays for his, his fees and he asks the innkeeper, hey, whatever you need to do to get this man better, put it on my account. And then Jesus asks the lawyer who is asking these questions, he says, who do you think was a neighbor to that Jew who was beaten? And he's like, well, I suppose the Samaritan who, was, who treated those who treated him well. He said, you go do likewise. You see, that, that man was kind of trying to put Jesus and his theology in a place where he would be able to kind of have a loophole of who he had to be nice to. He was saying, look, okay, Jesus, if you're saying for me to love my neighbor, well, then who's my neighbor? You know, like maybe just these people are my neighbors, so I don't need to be nice to these other people, right? And Jesus says, no, you be the neighbor. 
You be that good Samaritan. The type of person who helps those who are angry at them. Those who they don't get along with. This is what loving your neighbor is. You see, if you love God and you follow his commandments, all of loving God and loving your neighbor hangs all of the Ten Commandments. See, the first part of the Ten Commandments is all about love towards you and the Lord, the relationship towards the Lord. And the latter six commandments are the relationship between us and our brethren. And if you just, he liked to simplify it because sometimes we got a set of rules and we're like, man, we forget the Ten Commandments. But when you simplify it to those two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're just fulfilling those two things in your life, you're not going to be committing the sins of the Ten Commandments. You're not going to go and and steal your neighbor's wife. You're not going to go lie and cheat because that's not loving your neighbor. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And Jesus said that they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. So that's the biggest thing. That's how people know. People are going to sense it when you go about in the world. There's something different about this person. There's something different about how they handle stressful situations and how they handle difficult people. There's a joy in that person's life. And that joy it comes from the Lord. And people see a love in that person's life. And so in your life, when people begin to ask you questions, hey, like, so like, what do you do? Like, what's up? Don't be afraid to tell them that you had a Sunday service and you learned about the love of the Lord, that you learned how to grow deeper as a father, that you learned what it is to be a father this Sunday morning. Or for you women here today, you learned what to pray for for your husbands, for your fathers. Maybe even to uh, appreciate the men that God has placed in our life. Of how to be a spiritual leader. So I conclude this morning with look at how good our Heavenly Father is. Who has given us all these spiritual blessings in our, our men's study on, on, on Friday, we started to go into uh, the riches that, that Christ has given us. That in Christ, we receive all spiritual blessings. That's salvation, sanctification, adoption. That God has a plan for our life and that he loves us. And these are our spiritual blessings, not temporary blessings that can be taken away from us. And we thank God for that. I'll leave you guys with this quote from Jim Elliott. He said, A man is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep 
to gain that which cannot be taken away from him. See, we give up our life, our, this life here on this earth. We give it to the Lord. Because that life here on this earth, it's going to fade away. The money, the success, the fame, the glamour, all that, that's all going to fade away. And, and, and into eternity, it has no effect. But what the Lord gives us in return, those spiritual callings, salvation, that lasts for eternity. When we do those works for the Lord, we have one life soon to be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love, your grace. Lord, I, I do pray again, Father, that you would anoint us to be good fathers, that you would anoint us, Lord, to, to follow after you in spirit and in truth. I pray for those, Lord, who are in a trial right now, Lord God. I pray that you would give them, Father, just peace beyond understanding. I pray that you would bring a calm to the storm. And Lord God, may they just seek to stay in your grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross. Lord, with all the things that we could be doing, may we not forget what you've already done for us, Lord. All the things you've done for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Who I am, you are perfect. 
all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Sing, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Father, we love you, Lord. Bless your people. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them this week, Lord. May we just live after you, Father. name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Uh, this uh, Friday we will have our men's fellowship here at 7 p.m. And then we will see you guys right back Sunday morning, 11 a.m. If um, you guys would like to dive a little deeper and uh, kind of hear some leadership and grow as a disciple of the Lord, we do meet Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. for prayer and for a, a devotion on leadership. So uh, go ahead and uh, if, if you feel the Lord calling you to go deeper in that, uh, we'll be here at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Otherwise, we'll see you at 11, all right? God bless you guys.